Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Uh, today is a very special day uh, because we have a very special season. As you can see, uh, I have my co-founder, Andrew Wong, based in Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur, um, hosting with me uh, the Scale Up Valley Asia season. So we have been, we started the podcast in 2018. We have covered over 200 CEOs and executives of scale-ups across the world. Uh, even in the region, we have covered in Singapore funding societies, um, also in Malaysia, Superhands and other uh, scale-ups across the region. And we want to have more uh, representation of Southeast Asia and of Asia in general in, in the podcast. So that's why we are preparing this special season and Andrew is joining me. Uh, to cover uh, the best entrepreneurs in, in the region. And our first guest of this season is Jason, uh, the CEO of uh, and, co-found- and co-founder of Staff Any. And uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, welcome to the show, Jason. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. A pleasure. Uh, Andrew, welcome as well. Uh, co-hosting with me the, the, the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here as well. I think I think it's very special special uh, edition today because of the uh, first time uh, I'm on the Scale Up Valley podcast and I'm very very happy to be your sidekick uh, and your you know uh, uh, extra hand and I hope that uh, today uh, it's a little bit very nervous but uh, let's <laughs> give it a shot <laughs> let's give it a shot. <laughs> Thank you for the effort, Andrew, and thank you, Jason, again. So, Jason, uh, this is all about you. So, let us know more about you and and staff Annie. We are super curious. Awesome. So, maybe I'll do a quick introduction about staff Annie. Uh, Staff Annie is an hourly workforce management application. Our key product lines that we currently offer are scheduling application as well as a time and attendance application that optimize labor costs. Uh, increase productivity of workplace and, you know, have a better visibility and auditability of, um, you know, work performance. Um, our vision is to be the de facto operating system for hourly workers. And I would say our current stage of growth is at the early scale stage, earlier side of scale, uh, where we have, you know, relatively strong uh, retention metrics. And we're looking at how we can scale distribution in the region um, at a more efficient and stronger way. Got it. Sounds sounds really amazing. And um, in terms of the, how would you measure success in the mid and in the long term, um, in terms of the next steps of your of your strategy, um, Jason? Awesome, awesome. I'll start with the long term first. All right. I think that yeah. long term vision is really to transform the future of hourly workers, make their lives better, and at the same time, we also create value to the businesses that use our system to make them even more productive and efficient. But we talk about midterm, right? And in terms of midterm, we really want to be the de facto leader in workforce management in the markets we serve. Uh, we want to impact, you know, the big, hairy, audacious goal that we have, VHAC, right? Is to impact wow. the lives of hundreds and thousands of hourly workers. You know, we think that hourly workers are underserved. We have people flying up to the moon right now and really crazy cool technology. We can do so much more uh, for the blue collar workers, the hourly workers, the people that work in retail, FNB, brick and mortar. And that is, you know, our midterm success. 
Got it. Sounds sounds really amazing. And, and this is important. We always discuss here in the show kind of the free critical ingredients to scale. Uh, and we are going much more to, to uh, today, uh, customize it to try to extract the lessons learned by the entrepreneurs uh, scaling up. But of course, the importance of focus, the importance of, of the team and the importance of building a, uh, an execution machine. Uh, and starting with, with Radical Focus, you have covered some of the industries that you are focusing on because we know that we have an, uh, a huge total addressable market, but the idea uh, as we start executing, as we go executing from A to uh, from Series A to Series B to Series C, is really to go niche by niche, geography by geography, uh, expanding. So in terms of the ICP, could you give us uh, some insights in terms of the, what are the geographies where you are in at the moment? What are the main industries that you are uh, serving? And also the, the size of companies um, that you are targeting at, at the moment. Very good question, Mike. So um, I would say, uh, despite the product being able to serve uh, global users, uh, the team has been very intentional to uh, focus on specific geographies uh, to reap the effects of, of course, um, you know, uh, density as well as economies of scale, as well as to, you know, punch a little bit above our weight to do a little bit more or less. So I would say the geographies that we are a little bit stronger in would be Singapore, Malaysia, and Indonesia. Uh, this would be the areas that we are particularly focused on. Um, we believe in, you know, uh, like what you said just now, uh, serving the ICPs really, really well, make a small group of people love us, uh, before expanding right. to adjacent markets and to overextend. So, yeah, I, I would say, you know, a huge part of our journey the last uh, few years was all about making sure the NPS is good, the net dollar retention is good, the customer exactly. results are good. You know, before we put on that, that you know, um, the, the feet to the pedal and to scale a little bit further. Yeah, uh, it's curious. Uh, we, uh, as we know, we have had um, entrepreneurs from all over the world in, in the show here. And recently, we have been covering also uh, Latin America, that is becoming a very exciting region um, as well. And um, one of the mistakes that we make in our regional expansions is to try to go to all markets uh, at the same time. And for instance, in Latin America, there are the two biggest markets might be Mexico and um, and Brazil, and in this case is uh, is definitely uh, Indonesia in Southeast Asia. Could you explain for the ones uh, who are listening from outside the region to understand why it is important to focus on Indonesia and why Malaysia as well? Of course, um, that that would be great. Um, I think in terms of the demographics uh, in Southeast Asia, um, I think there's a lot of similarities between Southeast Asia and uh, Latin America, of course, in terms of um, market size, the addressable market in terms of the absolute number of people, internet penetration, receptiveness to tech, yeah. and, and, and whatnot. Um, I mean, the elephant in the room over here is because, of course, Indonesia is the largest market in Southeast Asia. And apart from Indonesia, we do also have places like Vietnam, uh, where it's also very significant, you know, uh, population size, density, and, and, and market demand. Um, and hence, you know, of course, Indonesia will be a natural, uh, exciting uh, market for us to be. Um, for why Malaysia? I think Malaysia is extremely, extremely exciting for us as well. Um, a reason for that is because um, in terms of uh, purchasing power, in terms of receptiveness to technology, in terms of tech adoption, um, Malaysia and Singapore, I would say, uh, are uh, a more uh, in similar sense. Uh, the receptiveness and the, the pain points and whatnot had a lot of similarities as, you know, our neighbors, um, you know, uh, as, as markets that we could uh, expand towards. 
um, how we decide on actually these two markets. Uh, first is that uh, uh, similarities in terms of the uh, ICPs as well as the, the jobs to be done. Um, and the second area here is also because of the customer base that we uh, eventually uh, uh, gathered uh, accidentally as we continue scaling, right? Uh, when we built product right. and we were, you know, uh, focusing reg uh, locally first, uh, we do see uh, a huge demand in these two markets as, uh, you know, and, and that kind of points us to the direction of uh, a natural selection and natural choice. That is a good point because uh, we, we were also talking with, uh, was talking with the CEO, uh, yesterday and uh, one thing is the strategy right so we want to expand in certain geographies uh, and the other thing is of course also being flexible when the traction shows us uh, a different direction so we see that there is a lot of uh, good feedback in a specific market so we might want to consider to explore uh, that market instead of uh, being blind and uh, say okay my strategy is in this, this direction and I will not listen what the market is telling me so sometimes uh, we, we forget to listen to the market and to the client. And this is uh, basic. We all know this, but uh, sometimes it's difficult to, to execute. And in terms of the size of, of companies, any, any insights that you'd like to, to share? There is always this typical discussion about going to enterprise, mid-market, small business, um, micro-enterprises. Uh, I would say, um, you know, we have a broad range of customers at this point of time. But I would say our sweet spot customers are the scaling companies, you know, the, the, the brick and mortar version of scale up companies, the ones that have basic product market fit and are looking to go to the next stage. Uh, for enterprises that are very, very established, yes, um, you know, they are really good in terms of uh, revenue contribution and ECVs and all. Uh, but typically, it's harder to, to go to market to them as compared to the up and coming scale ups in the industries that we serve. So, uh, you know, like you say, scale up value for SaaS, you know, we are also looking for the scale ups in the, the, the ICPs we serve. Absolutely. Sounds, sounds amazing. And um, yeah, and of course, it's, you, you talked about the importance of a very strong NPS uh, and about the net revenue retention. Uh, this is also super important at this stage of growth to have this repeatable, profitable and scalable revenue machine in place. Uh, to go from A to B to have those uh, unit econo economics and having a plan about making the retention engine and the expansion engine work, not only the acquisition engine um, uh, work. So is, is there any insights about um, how, how do you define success in order to, or if it is, let's say, uh, consistent with the SaaS playbook going from Series A to Series B in the region, what has been some of your insights and some of your experience also fundraising in, in the region? Yeah, so maybe we, we share a little bit more about um, our understanding of some of these uh, milestones yeah. and metrics, right? I think that the literature that we have uh, online, uh, whether it's in the Bay Area uh, metrics and all, um, yeah. it's pretty much uh, that, you know, uh, uh, direction that we, we strive the company uh, towards. Right. So, of course, you know, for a good sales company, we, we strive for very, very low uh, churn rates, uh, whether it's in local churn or whether it's in, you know, a negative churn, in fact, in terms of revenue numbers, is where we yeah. want to, to, to move towards. Uh, to me, the yeah. hallmark of, uh, uh, you know, deciding whether to, to, to start scaling or to push the, the investment in, in you know, um, user acquisition uh, would be if, you know, you're able to keep 
um, revenue churn rate low enough? And low enough depends on sector. You know, I, I, I don't think it's fair for me to share right. what, you know, it might be for, for, for all companies because depending on whether you're targeting the micro enterprises, the mid market, exactly. and the enterprise, that metric is very, very different. Um, so yeah, uh, I would just say, look at the um, playbooks, you know, some of our other literatures online and, and benchmark with them and do our best to achieve those outcomes. And I think uh, most companies would be in a good way. Good position. Absolutely. So of course, something super, super important uh, in the early stages of starting up is definitely the founding team. Uh, and in the time that we go into scaling up uh, is the um, leadership team. And really building this leadership team 1.0, uh, 2.0 um, is, is super important. So how has been your experience so far uh, doing this transition into Series A where you need to build um, your, your first version of the leadership team, let's say? I think hiring and building a team will be the most difficult uh, part of our entire journey. Um, th there's some things that I can't change, right? For example, my background where I studied and when I started yeah. the company, what history do I have? Um, and the truth of the matter is me and my co-founders were friends first and we met in college and we of course went to um, you know, different parts of the world having experience, for example, working tech startups in, in the US, for example, as well as myself working in a, in a small uh, VC fund uh, called Scrum Ventures, for example. Mm -hmm. um, I think all of us were pretty much guys in t-shirts and jeans and having that you know, ambition to just solve a problem and, and, and agreed to keep going on. So it is extremely difficult, uh, given the fact that we do not have that experience, that network, and that pedigree to continue finding uh, people uh, uh, naturally. Uh, and, and it makes it a lot more effort and a lot more um, that the, the business and the, 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 the direction of the company uh, would be a larger factor in, in attracting uh, good people uh, to join us. Uh, but you know, with that difficulty, we all do our best to overcome them. And I think that uh, momentum is one of the ways to overcome uh, to prove, you know, that story, you know, you always have a vision and story, but the momentum and the baby steps to get there are ways to, of course, convince people to connect the dots, right, at the end of the day. Um, and I would like to, you know, take this chance to shout out, you know, the early joiners. I think they joined in when the numbers were not there, the results were not there. Uh, Vanessa, uh, Albert, Xiaoyi, uh, they were the guys that, you know, when we were nothing, when we hadn't had any customers yet, believe in the vision and join us. So um, thank you guys for joining Staff and you at the earliest days. I do have a question. Uh, uh, basically, yeah, you know, you're at uh, early stage and, and you are all trying to move to, to the scale-up stage, right? Can you describe to us what is the, the key driver that causes a company like yours to actually move from startup to a scale-up? What will be the key driver? Um, Andrew, so I think that uh, maybe it's also different from every company. So I do not okay. want to be too... Uh, uh, prescriptive um, uh, about that. Um, but I think for us, the main um, uh, factor is really the retention rate. Uh, we always want to look at our retention rate. Uh, I think that, you know, if we have a poor or bottom of class retention rate, uh, we wouldn't have the confidence level to go on to the scale up uh, level. Uh, I mean, you know, it takes something to buy uh, from someone, right? Uh, to part of money uh, to, to invest in a service or a product but it takes a lot more to come back to you, especially yeah. with you know, uh, alternative choices or going back to the old way. So in my opinion, uh, that leading indicator uh, would be retention. Um, and in our opinion is that once we hit that retention to a confident enough level, that's where we would say we would want to push that, um, um, you know, get the investments and to scale and to move to the next level. 
what what is your current retention rate right now? Uh, I don't want to go too much into okay. uh, details, but uh, I will just share that it, uh, we, we do have negative churn and net dollar retention. All right. All right. Okay. Actually, a lot of startups or even companies don't really focus too much on retention rate, uh, but a lot more on what you call customer acquisition. But retention rate definitely is something that, that everyone should be looking at because you know, it's so much easier to retain a customer compared to, you know, uh, acquiring a new customer. And when you retain the customer, it's so much uh, cheaper, right? And, and definitely, you know, moving on the life cycle of the customer as well. But having said that, right, I I, meant, I realized that you, are, you mentioned a lot about your team, right? Especially during the COVID-19 pandemic. But how, how does your team sustain, you know, uh, going through that, that economic crisis and the pandemic crisis and, what makes them become stronger? I think that the spirit of the team is much more important in a scale-up company because after all, uh, a company is driven by humans, right? Absolutely, so the Andrew. team is very, very important. So share with us your experience. Sure. So uh, I, I would also put a disclaimer here that we have absolutely survivorship bias here. There are many more successful teams uh, that because of market forces uh, that didn't work out through COVID and had to make a lot more drastic action. So we yeah. were very, very lucky. Um, one thing that I, I think um, we were very lucky to have was the type of people that join us. Um, there is a type of DNA uh, that I think um, would be most uh, fitting for an earlier stage company. You know, the ability to uh, you know, work together as a team, to have shared outcome, uh, to go through difficulties together. Um, and, and these are things that, you know, I, I wouldn't say I was able to to get that out through interview process or not, you know, it's usually when the tough times get going and it happens, right? And, you know, see what people do when worse happens. Um, one of the stories I wanted to share, and, and I'm extremely appreciative to my team, Staff Fanny will not be where it is today without the team. It's not about the founders, it's not about me, it's the people that join us, even the interns, uh, the contractors, the part-timers and all. It's, it's really all about them. One of the stories I wanted to share was that um, at the peak of the pandemic, um, food and beverage and retail was affected the most. You know, we had, uh, you know, in Singapore, we had uh, circuit breaker in the rest of the world lockdowns. And that affected the revenue and the business of the whole world. At that point of time, we had no new revenue. Um, sales was not moving. And we were really um, looking through our numbers on like, hey, will we survive the pandemic? What's going to happen next? One thing I did was being very open and I, I, I chatted with everybody in the team um, on, hey, when push comes to shove and when we need to make drastic actions. Uh, would you rather us uh, do some salary uh, adjustments for, for everybody in the team, all right, and then we write off this pandemic? Or would you think that there are you know, some people that we should consider uh, letting go off and you know, keep the core team members in that sense? And I was extremely touched, you know, and, and, and I, I said at the bottom of my heart, the, the, the early team members, um, for being really for the team. They were all like saying, hey, you know, I would rather take a cut and, you know, let's scratch through this together. And, you know, let's overcome the climate and, and difficulty together. So I really owe it to um, the awesome ladies and gentlemen that, that, that is part of the staff and the team uh, to give us a shot at go and to give us a shot after the pandemic to continue getting traction, um, uh, to give us a shot of also uh, eventually getting some results to fundraise. So team is extremely important, Andrew. And, and I think the people are not just the hard skills, uh, but their culture, their personality, and what they do 
when no one is looking or what they do when, when things become bad uh, is, you know, a home of character and I'm very thankful for my team. So the, the big question is, right, how do you bring this team together, you know, to hold them together? Right? <laughs> I, think, I, if, wish, if, I wish... If culture, if core values, you know, vision, mission, everything probably bundled together. Yeah. I, 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 wish, I wish I could give you a model answer to that. <laughs> but I would say it's really a stroke of luck. Um, I would say that we really met good people. Um, I wish to believe it's the interview process and our hiring process, but I, I would really say it's, it's, it's really a stroke of luck. You know, it could go, go either way. Of course, we try our best in the interview process to ask more about the soft skills and to, at that point of time, of course, um, you know, we hire for people that has, you know, the, the growth mentality, the grit and whatnot, but, but I think there's a huge stroke of luck involved with that and, 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 and we try to mitigate it as much as we can. And, and definitely um, being able to hire those leadership team members who are quite seasoned, who have been there, done that. Uh, it's, it's super hard in any region at, uh, at this stage. And especially in ecosystems who don't have three or four or five generations as in, in the US, for instance, in, in the West Coast, uh, it, might more, it might be more difficult to have those people uh, on board. So any any tips on how to how to bring those people and uh, how to find the ones uh, who have been there done that, uh, and finally how to balance to hire those ones or to attract those ones with also promoting uh, the ones who have the potential also to to become the the future veterans in the industry. Um. I apologize that I don't have a model answer for that. I mean, it can be real. <laughs> no worries. It's, it's just our experiences uh, and, and the brainstorming yeah. as well. Yeah, so so I think we managed to hire a few um, um, senior people throughout our journey and we are continually doing so as well. Um, but I think a lot of times this uh, relationship and goodwill is also built over time where the way you carry yourself, the way you guys execute, the way you have you know, uh, delivered over time uh, also speaks volume in the industry and with the people that you have interacted uh, with. So always play the infinite game, not the short game, and, and to see whether we could, you know, um, reach out to people that you know, at that point of time might not be the best fitting, but at this point of time, are uh, the most fitting. Uh, but in terms of uh, promoting upwards and, you know, nurturing the inside, uh, insiders or the people that were here uh, to the next level, um, you know, I just want to shout out to the early team members like Emma Albert, Vanessa, Kishan and all. Uh, they were people that punched above their weight. They were people that came in without that senior leadership role. And, you know, one, one quality they all had um, was, you know, growth mentality and to learn and to grow and to, to seek uncomfortableness and, and, and continue, you know, you know, learning from other people as well. So uh, I would say um, this um, ability to give people opportunity to, to try to fail and being extremely lucky to have these people with the right mindset um, and giving them a stage to perform um, was, was really a stroke of luck. But, you know, um, I, I think that, you know, if there's a chance for, you know, our guys to, 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 to go upwards to take that senior roles, we, we are more uh, for it. But sometimes you also hear things like, you know, um, our team members reflecting about, hey, um, I'm also a fresh grad. I don't really have the experience yet. I would love the team to hire someone more experienced to learn from. Mm -hmm. and, and, and with that, then we balance and have that open conversation to see, what kind of dynamism do we do we prefer at this stage of time? And sometimes it's always an open conversation and a mixture of both. So I hope I'm answering in some ways and sharing a little bit insight on uh, the team I think that this is a, a great point and also for the, um, the leaders and the younger leaders that are listening to us in, in the podcast that uh, 
dream one day to become VPs or be in the C-suite of a, of a scale-up. Um, you, you have the time, right? So it's, it's good also to sometimes uh, take the leads and say, maybe I'm not ready yet. Uh, and I want to talk with my, with my CEO and suggest him to help recruit my boss, the one who will teach me how to become a VP uh, in the future. Right? And, and, and factually, we put the uh, early joiners to join the interviews and they have a vote in their decision at the end of the day. So it's really hilarious when uh, a junior person interviews their future boss. <laughs> but exactly. at, the, at the same time, you learn a lot from them because of the contextual knowledge, the difficulties they face, yeah. as well as the assessment if they can follow this new leader and being that part of the decision-making process. So uh, that's what we do and we, we, we will continue doing so. And you know, hopefully that's a value add to other people as well. Now, just just would like to emphasize this attitude that Jason is sharing because it's it's really really important. That's one of the issues that we see. Uh, teams, uh, of course, this will always happen in any startup. But uh, some leaders would start to say, "This is not the same culture that it was in the beginning. We are growing too much. Uh, it seems that uh, leaders are not respecting us uh, anymore. We have been here in the hard times." So it. And it's all about communication and, and the way we do things in, in those moments. And it's completely different saying, here you have your boss. And I never talked about that you would have a new leader uh, uh, in, in your function or uh, talking with the person and asking what you need to become that VP or would it be uh, ideal to have a, to, to you to recruit a VP for this function? Uh, what's your opinion on this? Of course, at the end of the day, uh, there is a leader of the leadership team that is the CEO and it needs to make the, the final decision. But involving the, the early leaders in the process and making them uh, feel hurt about the process uh, makes a huge sense. Also to the, to the leaders that will be joining the company. So they will, it will be much easier for them to be well onboarded to feel part of the team, to have the collaboration of all, instead of just um, demanding you will have a new leader. And if you don't accept this leader, we might need to let you go, right? So, and, and sometimes we see this, it's, uh, it's hilarious, but, uh, but sometimes this happens. So I, I would like to emphasize of doing this uh, very well, also to not break the culture uh, very early on. And uh, these transitions in a scale-up are super critical, uh, growing from Series A to, uh, to uh, from C to Series A to Series A to Series B, those transitions of leaders can really break the culture and make us lose a lot of time. And we know that uh, something that we don't have uh, in scale-ups is, uh, is the luxury of uh, losing time with those kind of issues that we can anticipate because there are so many issues that we that, that we can't anticipate that the ones we can anticipate, uh, it's good to, to, to mitigate. Andrew, yeah. Yeah, so out of curiosity, um, when, when you're scaling up, right, and, and you're building that leadership team, actually, which the first position that you want to build? Uh, is, it, is it the finance? Is it the marketing? Is it the sales? Is it business development? I, I, think, I think the answer is very contextual. It really depends on, you know, what you need at the point of time, yeah. uh, where the bottlenecks are. And yeah. you need to reflect in your team, which is the you know, areas that uh, has the highest leverage to success and to unblock the rest of the uh, growth. Mm. So I would say uh, it's very, very contextual. It really depends. And, and um, you know, for, for, 
for our uh, for our case, um, at the scale up level that we were trying to go towards on hiring like 10 people at one go, right? We, we, we didn't have that problem last time. Last time we only hired one or two people at one go. We're going to hire 10 people. Uh, one of that role that we really wanted to invest in is human resource. And, and hence, you know, I will say it's very contextual. It depends on what you need at each stage. You know, if you have a co-founder that leads that area or if you have other leaders that, that already leads that area, then you might need another um, a role, right? But for us in our case is processizing, uh, optimizing, uh, hiring, uh, as well as onboarding. Um, and, and very glad to have, you know, a teammate like Alex joining us uh, uh, at Starfight. That's very interesting, right? Starting with human resources. But a lot of people will be looking at, oh, I get my marketing or my sales you know, manager to come on board. But you you choose the other way. Very interesting. Yeah, but so, Andrew, to caveat, it depends case by case. But in our context, yeah. that was what was uh, required and we had a lot of uh, roles to fill. So mm -hmm. in that case, this is a really a, a high power up to the rest of the organization. I see. Perfect. And um, there is a question that we love to ask to our guests, uh, which which is, uh, if you would have the opportunity to have a coffee with your younger self at the beginning of Staff Annie, uh, what advice would you share uh, with your younger self? I think one of the advice would be to hire slow. Uh, you know, I ignore the second part on people saying fire fast. I'll just say hire slow. Um, and, and the area on that is because the cost to having a wrong hire it's expensive both in terms of training, onboarding, opportunity cost, uh, the wrong team member making mistakes and alignment and, and internal morale and, and, and whatnot. So I think, I think being very intentional with um, uh, hiring, and I know that all founders would feel the pain of hiring. Everybody's like, is this above the bar? Can I get that person done and dusted and you know, get hiring done and continue building the business? Unfortunately, the, the cost of a, a wrong hire uh, is higher uh, than hiring that role a little bit slower. Absolutely. And what are you the most proud of during this uh, journey? I think there are two uh, parts that I wanted to share, but both of them comes with the word returning. All right, returning, not recurring, returning. <laughs> and um, um, the first one is about uh, returning uh, churn customers. So if customers use your service and they churn and they want to try some other competitor or similar product that claims to do what we do, um, it's a choice, right? And we do our best to retain them and we do our reflection on what can be done better, you know? But it's absolutely proud for our team to win them back, you know, one year later and they're like, hey, actually you guys are the best in what you guys are doing and, and we are coming back. <laughs> uh, it, it tells something to, to, to come back more than to retain, right? And, and, and um, we had um, a few of those cases that happened just, just a couple of last month, last two months and, and, and that itself was something I'm really proud of. But the second thing that I'm most proud of is the same word returning. Uh, and in this case is returning employees. Um, I believe that if there are people that used to work with you as an intern or as an early junior member that comes back after maybe a stint somewhere else for two years, um, that itself is also a hallmark that there's something in this team and in this journey that, 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 that got them, you know, um, like, hey, I've seen the world and there's something that I, I, I really like about this place. So returning, you know, I, I like returning customers. Uh, um, as well as returning team members, and that usually you know hits spot, um, you know, for everyone else in Starhead. Amazing, and so, and now we have a, a a new segment that we are applying to the our uh, past uh, podcasts. And kudos here for uh, our podcast producer Alex, part of our team, for always challenging us to make the podcast more entertaining and uh, of more quality to to the community. 
So here it goes, the quick wrap-up questions. So number one, worst advice ever received? I think many people say don't work with your friends. Uh, but actually, the team at Staff and he started as friends first. We were not like business partners or whatsoever. Um, I think we were very lucky to have the grace, empathy, and you know maturity to be very objective. Uh, but you know, I think the correct advice is don't work with wrong friends, right? You know, if you have good friends, mature friends with that grace and empathy, you know, so far it's working well, and I hope to prove that it's good to work with friends. Amazing. Any recommendation of uh, books? Um, I think the classics like, you know, Hard Things About Hard Things or Makings of a Manager or, you know, Design Sprint and stuff would be really, really good literature. But honestly, uh, my mentor when I was at uh, Scrum Ventures, uh, uh, Austin Orangeburg, he introduced me a book called uh, The Business of Venture Capital. And this is a book mm -hmm. uh, by uh, Mahendra uh, Ramsinghani. I can't pronounce it properly. I apologize for that. Uh, I thought it was really, really good. And all founders should take a chance to, to read, to understand what's on the other side of the table because that tells you what business is, um, you know, venture scalable, venture backable, and, you know, how to think about venture capital as it means to grow. Uh, not all companies need VC money, and not all companies in their life should ever get VC money, even if it's offered for you. So I thought that that perspective is key for every founder, and I would recommend, you know, um, you know fellow founders to, to take, a, take a book and, and read it and to learn about the other side of the table. Absolutely. This is so, so important. And sorry to do this uh, parenthesis here. Um, that's usually I really recommend to explain to all members of the leadership team uh, how the VC world uh, works, because it can be very demotivating to, don't, to not understand why the hell we are looking for such aggressive uh, metrics in such a short period of time. And if people don't understand, uh, it becomes uh, very difficult to, to make it happen. So that's, that's a, a great point here, Jason, that you are making. And finally, any series, movies uh, that are inspiring you recently? Uh, I would say that podcast is really, really good for all founders because we multitask. And apart from international podcasts like Scale Up Valley, I would like to recommend that all founders look at hyper-local podcasts as well. Uh, one example in Southeast Asia would be Gen E Singapore Rising by Alan Holloway and Cheng Xin, um, as well as the Unreasonable podcast by Michael Blakey, uh, Gohian, and Visho. Um, I think hyper-localized content is key to our journey. You know, there's a lot of experience and learnings that you can get from, you know, Bay Area uh, uh, experiences. But remember this, Silicon Valley is so different from the world. And in many other parts of the world, the VC ecosystem, the startup ecosystem, the founder ecosystem, the tech ecosystem is a total different uh, planet. Uh, the way those world behaves is totally different and those kind of maybe expectations uh, will be different as well. So I, I do recommend checking out more hyper-local content, uh, local podcasts, um, and more relevant podcasts. So I think, you know, your uh, Scale Up Valley doing an Asia version for Asian founders to, you know, dial in and to see how this world is very different um, is extremely apt and extremely exciting. So yeah, I'll recommend hyperlocal content. Thank you very much, Jason, for, for the reflection. Um, Andrew, uh, do you want to have any final uh, comments, final questions? No, I don't have any, but I think I have, uh, I learned quite a lot. Uh, to this conversation and but typically I believe that uh, I think your, your key to success in terms of your team is very very much boiled down to culture the culture that you have built you know uh, from what you have described I think it's a 
it's something that is not seen in any of our well, Southeast Asian kind of, of businesses because our culture tends to be boss and employees are you know, separate, are two different, different kinds of uh, people. So, but you are trying to, to bring in what we call a very immersive, right, and empowering culture to your staff, you know, to, to your team members. And that's probably one of the main reasons why they believe in your leadership. And with that leadership, that is also the reason why they stayed on with you and you know, uh, continue with your vision that they believe in. So that's why I, I, when I study this, listening to this conversation, is basically telling me, yes, the culture of the company is very, very strong. And that is probably why you're able to hold the team together. Congratulations. Thanks, Andrew, for the kind words, but uh, it's still work in progress. There's a lot of things that we can do better and, you know, we're always looking upwards and onwards. Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really a pleasure for both to me and Andrew to host you uh, in this special season of the, of the podcast. Thanks for making the time. Pleasure is mine. See you around. And thank you, Andrew, for joining me uh, today as well. And to our community, thanks for being there. We keep bringing you the best of the best to make your, your life a little bit easier, scaling up your company. See you soon and keep scaling.